once you get this distinction between states and structure stages and then between separateness and uniqueness, which is built on the first distinction, right, you literally open up the single most important possibly human understanding, you know, revelation, fruit of the eye of the spirit, which heretofore has been blocked. So that's, I mean, Ken, I can't, I can't think of anything more exciting at this moment. Yeah, and I mean, it, part of the difficulty is that we said earlier that the, the sort of the common, one of the common tenets of the world's traditions is that there are two selves. And, and there is a, a subtle distinction, and it's a hard distinction to, to keep operative. It's a hard distinction to keep in practice. And that is the, 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 the actual distinction between the small self, the separate self, the self-contraction, and the big self, the true self, the unique self. And this is, you, you can see this in things like Ramana Maharshi using the phrase I hyphen I. Mm-hmm. So the one I, the first I, is, is the small self. And so when we, when we tell anybody now, just, you know, be, be aware of yourself. Just right now, just notice yourself. Be aware of yourself. Now, when you do that, notice that there are actually two selves. There's the self you're aware of, but you can see um, you're this, you're that, you're, you're, you feel this way, you feel that way, you're so tall, you weigh so much, you do this job, da-da-da-da. And there's the observing self. Now, the, the observing self is the, is the true self, is the real self, is the self that you're trying to get in touch with. But unfortunately, what you constantly do is you transfer that observing self and it, its its essence to your small, finite uh, individual, itty bitty self, and and that is the um, fundamental confusion of non enlightenment. Right. And yet, yes, in a sense, they're close. Because, you know, they're both uh, awareness and they're, if you just sort of casually look within and, 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 and don't use discriminating awareness, then you're, you're not going to tease them apart. But to, to notice I, I is to be ensconced in the I that is, uh, the true self that has a perspective on the small self and everything else that's arising. So distinguishing those can be can be tough. In some yeah. cases it's you know, it's easier to, to, to just toss it and, 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 and not follow through on that. It, but it's also to deny the um the the, the in a sense the, the unique or even even in some sense the personal plus components of uh, the real self is 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 self contradictory because the one of the ways that the real self um, in many traditions um, is is known is by the simple unchanging experience of I amness. Now that I amness is a very deep I amness. It's not. I am this or I am that. It's just pure I amness. And that pure I amness is the one unchanging experience 
that every person has. You can't remember what you were doing probably two weeks ago at this time. But one thing you know was there was the sense of I amness. And it was an unchanging sense, the same I amness you have right now. And so when people are asked to deny that any part of I amness is part of enlightenment, they're asked to deny that part of the real self right. that shows up as I amness. And they know better than that. And they, so they can't, they're being asked to give up something that is the only constant experience in their life. Right. The experience goes all the way back to when they were born, as a matter of fact, all the way back to before when they were born, before Abraham was, I am. And that I amness is simply another name for God. It's another name for the, the, the true, i.e. unique self. And it was there prior to the Big Bang. It would be there after the end of the universe because it doesn't enter the stream of time. It is literally the unborn and the undying. But it's there for anybody who wants to know it. You aware of I am this? Welcome home. Welcome to God. Welcome to spirit. Coming along and saying, oh, now deny that. That's not real. And that, well, that just won't work. You can't deny spirit. So what you can deny is the part of I amness that is I am this or I am that. That's the separate self. That's the self-contraction. That's what you want to transcend. But you can't gut it all because the fundamental isness of I amness is spirit. And you cannot deny spirit without contradiction for reasons that everybody from Shankar to Descartes has has pointed out. And so once you set off down that path, attempting to deny I am this, then it's an endless contradictory adventure and um, simply um, confuses the issue enormously um, whereas it, um, realizing that um, becoming more and more in touch with the very core of I amness is becoming more and more in touch with the, with the core of the unique self, which is one with the divine, um, it at least isn't um, self-contradictory and uh, impossible. Which is a step in the right direction. Step in the right direction. (laughs) I mean, basically, there's two denials. I mean, if we kind of frame it that way, there's two denials that both, you know, which both are propagated with enormous force in the world and both run counter to reality or to realness, as it were, and therefore, you know, both kind of run into a brick wall. One is... The denial of the denial of spirit, the denial of depth, the denial of I amness of true self, which is the kind of Western materialistic kind of reduction view that you know took hold so strongly. And someone like Freud, who was still intoxicated with this view, you know, did did you know um, in Hebrew did you say shminiot ba'avir, meaning he did kind of incredible calisthenic intellectual distortions in order to account for it, right? Yeah. Kind of you know explain it. And when you look at it, you're kind of really. 
<laughs> that's one denial. But, but the other denial, right, is the denial that exists in the mystical traditions, whether it's, you know, you know a moment in Hasidism, you know, or it's a moment in, you know, Mahayana, you know, um, which is, you know, not fully integrating its own truths on both sides of it. Because you, you have texts that are more fully integrative of its own implicit truths and tra- texts that aren't, which is denial of uniqueness, right? It's denial yeah. of individuality, but not individuality at the level of separate self or the contraction or the distortion, but individuality at the level of, you know, your unique perspective, which is an irreducible feature of essence, right? And both of those denials, right, produce, right, enormous confusion, right, in, you know, each of them in one huge swath of humanity. And that yeah. confusion results in incredible pain, you know, and incredible, you know, from pain, of course, you know, comes fear, and from fear comes violence, and, and the entire cycle of samsara. And so the introduction of unique self, Again, we're not talking about a, a casual series of dialogues that, that Wilbur and Gaffney did, and we're not talking about integral spiritual experience. So we, we found a nice topic, and aren't we glad we did with our friend Sean Hargens, you know, a great, you know, volume on, you know, unique self, right? But we're, we're, and it's, you know, it's not about a couple of academic books. It's about actually a shift, you know, emergent from world spirituality integral principles, emergent from integral spiritual center, a shift in the very source code, Right, of understanding an, an evolution of our understanding of reality, an evolution, you know, of enlightenment itself. And, and that's, that's the excitement. And maybe, maybe to add one more piece to our 101 and, and turn it back to you, Mega K, which is, you know, the personal and the impersonal, which we've, we've flirted with, you know, in a number of, you know, comments, you know, today. But I, I want to try and explicate it and then, and then turn it over to you because the second confusion, Right, that you see in the literature, both ancient, you know, modern and postmodern, is the confusion between, you know, or, or the confusion in relationship to the personal. And if I, I could maybe frame it like this. In virtually all writing, and, and, and I say this not casually, but, you know, with, you know, kind of, not with my teacher self, but with my scholar self, you know, with a lot of authority. You know, in virtually all writing, there's just a complete conflation of the word personal with personality, separate self, you know, ego, and when I say ego, I don't mean it in the healthy Kernberg, you know, Otto Kernberg integrating principle sense, but, you know, ego as, you know, separate self, personality, you know, contraction. The personal is just identified, you know, and stuck there. And, again, in a, in a recent book I read, there were, you know, I counted there were 137 references to the personal. Every single one of them, right, dismissed the personal without exception. And in that same book, every single one of them conflated separateness and uniqueness, every one of them. I mean, it was kind of, it was just a shocking, you know, example of this, of this contemporary mistake. When actually, if you step back, you actually realize the following, that there's actually two, you know, if you will, grand archetypes. You know, there's kind of, there's the personal and the impersonal. There's personal man and impersonal man, if I can use that kind of Sprungian, you know, German typology. But actually, there are only two out of three, minimally, if we would kind of map it. So I would say kind of level one is the personal of the personality. Level one is the personal, you know, which is all the stuff that, you know, the shock of, you know, Gurdjieff's shock of separation, you know, entry into this world, the fixation of attention, you know, the styles that we develop to cope with the, the pain of samsara, the distortions which result, right, that, that notion of personality and the kind of, you know, incidental proclivities and flavors, you know, of personality in all of their, you know, poignancy and all of their frailty and all of their ephemeral nature, that's personal personality level one. 
You need to move beyond that to transcend that, to end the trance of personal slash personality and realize this I amness, this true self, the true nature of all that is, right? And the true nature of yourself. And that's impersonal. You know, and you referred to it earlier, Ken, as impersonal. That's impersonal. That's just not, it's not personal in the sense of, you know, level one personal. But what then happens is your, your true self awakens as unique self and unique self is ultimately personal. Right? It's the personal phase of essence, which is your unique expression right, of essence, which is, by definition, inexorably personal. And so personal reappears right, at this level three. You refer to it. I, I talk about these three stages. You refer to it, I think, in early writing as personal plus and personal minus. Right. One of the places that we met in the early days, and when you look at personhood in this sense, right, you begin to kind of reclaim the personal and you disambiguate this enormous confusion. And again, it's not intellectual confusion. It's somatic, emotional mind confusion in the mind of all the people, you know, which is most of the world, studying some version of this distortion. And the ability to reclaim the personal at a higher level of consciousness and to not fall into this level one, level three, or what you call pre-trans, essentially. It's a version of that fallacy, right, is enormously important because if I would get off the call and I would say, hey, I spoke to Ken today, and, you know, he was kind of impersonal, right? I wouldn't be saying, wow, wasn't that great, or he was realized in his, you know, non-dual expression of, you know, Nirvani Kalpa Samadhi, right, right, but hadn't gotten to Sahaj, right? No, I'd be saying, Jesus, you know, I really love Ken, but, you know, man, I guess, was, you know, was he not feeling well? Did, did he not like me today? Why was he impersonal? And if I would get off the call and say, wow, I just felt like Ken's personal, like, warmth, I wouldn't be saying, well, you know, Ken was in his personality today. You know, he was stuck in his personal warmth. No, I'd be saying, no, wow, I felt the personal quality of essence, right, expressed and refracted, you know, in the intersubjective space between Ken and myself, and I was delighted by that, not because of grasping personality, but because personal essence met personal essence. So the ability to reclaim the personal at a higher level of consciousness is just another critical unique self 101 movement Right to disambiguate the confusion, right, and change the conversation. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and um, that indeed is is um, why um, <clears throat> I started talking about personal plus because um, there was such a confusion. Um, the worst, the, the worst source of the confusion, frankly, coming from from Theravadan um, yeah. Buddhism. Um, which is which has been a disaster, um, and got rid of the um, problem um, basically altogether by um, its its doctrine of uh, anatta, which says that um, it's absolutely true that no entity has um, a self uh, of any sort. Um, at all, and so when you find Nagarjuna, essentially the founder of Mahayana Buddhism, what he attacks is not Hinduism, which you would think is a good Buddhist he would attack. He spends most of his time attacking Theravada, right? And he says, "Look, this thing is really screwed up." Um, we look at it in terms of the two truths. Um, in, in relative truth, a separate self in a healthy, 
Kohat fashion is necessary. And it's as real, relatively real, as moment-to-moment um, -moment dharmas are. So subject and object arise together and um, are equally real, relatively real, and, and, and are, are part of the relative uh, realm. And so, so to say that anatta applies to um, the relative realm is, is simply wrong. So now, does anatta apply to the absolute realm? And in that, you can't say, and this is where people don't quite get all the way over the hump. Mm -hmm. It's true you can't say that in the absolute emptiness, in, in the strictest technical sense, um, cannot be described as self or having self. But nor can it be said not to have self. These are both two dualistic concepts. And absolute reality is neither self nor not self, nor both, nor neither. So, is anatta absolutely true? No, it's, it's false. So, in both relative and absolute truths, the Theravada notion of anatta is false. And so that has just screwed up, particularly in the West, the attempt to understand everything from self and its relation to enlightenment and um, uh, the notion of personal and its relation to enlightenment or any of those states. Uh, and, um, of course, the ultimate confusion um goes back to, to, to not understanding structures and and right. uh, and states. And so as as um Mahayana continued to grow and evolve, uh slowly as a metaphoric use of language, um the word self in one form or another was moved back in mm -hmm. to reality. And so Zen talks about a true self. The uh, Nirvana Sutra talks about um, the Maha Atman, the great self. Uh, and and um, that's, in essence, what we're talking about um, as, as in the unmanifest realm, the true self. And then as soon as there's a manifestation at all, that true self immediately is a unique self. Right depending on the on the personality in in, in the person in right. which it is housed. Right. And that's a person plus, not a person minus. That's the personal level. If it shows up, it doesn't suck the person out. Right. It adds uh, um, absolute reality to that perspective that that person has. Yeah.